This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Monday, October 11th, 2021. I'm Caleb Brown. Over issues like mask mandates and critical race theory, angry parents are now regularly shouting at what would otherwise be boring school board meetings. And it's that ruckus that has attracted the attention of the FBI. Cato's Neil McCluskey has a way for people on both sides of current issues to get along without making a federal case out of it. Well, right now, what has happened is the uh, Attorney General Merrick Garland has uh, sent out a memorandum to the FBI saying they should prepare to work with state and local and other authorities to come up with a strategy to deal with disruptions and potential threats. It's not clear whether there have been any serious threats, but potential threats to school board members. Basically, what happened was the National School Board Administration, and it turns out some principals associations and others, but appealed to the Biden administration. The National School Board Association did it last week, saying, look, there are all these disruptions of our school board meetings. Um, Sometimes people seem kind of angry. Um, There's a group that keeps a watch list of of school boards that have adopted policies they don't like critical race theory, masking policies, things like that. And they basically said, well, we don't feel safe and people are getting unruly. So, hey, federal government, you need to step in. Now, they called for more than just the FBI. I mean, they were calling for the Department of Homeland Security. They were calling for Secret Service, everybody they could think of to get involved in I guess, keeping order at school board meetings. Um, But the FBI is the one that Merrick Garland has sort of given the order to 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 start coming up with some strategy to deal with these unruly people at school boards. It doesn't seem like this is any matter for the FBI, even if there are physical threats against these local public officials. Right. So this is problematic on two levels. And the one that you mentioned first Uh, is sort of the big federalism issue, which is suppose there are even like physical confrontations and even a physical threat. Suppose somebody goes to a school board meeting and says to a school board member, I'm going to punch you in the nose if you don't, uh, you know, change the quality of the square pizza in the cafeteria or if you don't change the curriculum or whatever it is. Well, that kind of thing is a local matter for the most part. That's why we have police is to intervene when somebody uh, threatens to assault somebody or actually then does assault somebody. There's no reason the federal government has to get involved. Why we have to say, well, send in the FBI. We need a special agent here because somebody got into a scuffle with someone else at a school board meeting. The other thing, though, that I think is actually even more concerning is the National School Board Administration, in their very lengthy letter to the Biden administration, calling for basically, almost literally, the cavalry. We don't really have that anymore. It comes in the form of tanks. But they wanted basically everything they could find. Maybe they do want a tank. I don't know. But in this, they they, they had a litany of examples of things they said, well, this is just in, intolerable and extremely dangerous for our school districts. Well, if you look at a lot of those examples, and we've tracked many of these conflicts uh, in the Center for Educational Freedom on the public schooling battle map, most of them are, you know, they may be people who are behaving uncivilly, like, oh, well, that's a little rude. But none of it 
or, or many of these examples have no threat involved at all, and much is just speech. One example, uh, which many people probably saw, was of a student in Tennessee a couple weeks ago or three weeks ago, um, you know, at least in the last month, testify to the school board saying, look, we really need a mask mandate in this school district because my grandmother died of COVID. And um, I think it was because somebody didn't wear a mask. And, you know, and that's a sad situation. But some aggrieved people in the audience kind of grumbled. Uh, now, the NSBA said, well, this was mocking this young man. I didn't actually hear the mocking when I heard the tape. Uh, it was really sounded like a little bit of grumbling, maybe a guffaw. And then the main thing you heard was a school board member saying, OK, let's keep it professional, everyone. But even if it was mockery, there is nothing illegal about mocking someone, even if it's uncivil and it's unpleasant and we should feel sympathy for this young man. When did we ever say, you know, you should be in federal prison for your mockery of somebody at a school board meeting? And so you just look at what the NSBA cited and you think this is outrageous that they would want to not just criminalize this, but federally criminalize it. The closest you might get is they cited uh, Turning Point USA, which is sort of a conservative organization that doesn't, you know, they sometimes seem uncivil in what they do. I don't always agree with them, but they have something called School Board Watch. And people are like, there's a watch list. And I guess it's called School Board Watch List, School Board Watch, something like this. But anyway, the NSBA said there's a watch list of people. They're, they're putting down names of school board members, and it's on a website. And you think, well, that, that sounds pretty bad, and it might cross state lines, so the federal government maybe should be involved. But when you go to it, it's basically just a website that says, here are a number of school districts that have passed things we don't like. It could be critical race theory. It could be max mandates. And, you know, and so here's a list of things I did we don't like. Plus, here is the are the names of the people on the school board and a picture. Now, if you don't already have the ability to find out who is on your school board on publicly available information, you've got a huge problem in your school district. This is public information. They didn't give from what I saw. They didn't give any private phone numbers, addresses, anything. They just said, here are your school board members and their pictures. There is nothing illegal about that. Again, much less something the federal government needs to get involved in. But this is what the NSBA is sort of blowing out of proportion to call for the federal government to put the hammer down on protesters. So let's, in defense of local school boards that have been dealing with, uh, let's put it very mildly and say, more interest in their activities over the last two years than they are probably used to. School board meetings are notoriously dull and uh, boring and therefore are poorly attended. Uh, now there is are difficult decisions that school boards are having to make about whether or not uh, young people will have to be masked if they attend uh, public schools. So what do we do about it? Yeah. So just because we don't think something uh, is elevated level of a crime, much less a federal crime, it doesn't mean that there aren't sort of unpleasant things happening in a lot of school boards. If you see some of the the things that have happened at these meetings that make people un, you know, sort of uncomfortable, it's understandable. Um, so if you've, you've probably seen this incident in Williamson County, Tennessee, where doctors and nurses had come to testify 
uh, at the the school board meeting for a mask mandate saying it could be safer for students and faculty if there are mask mandates. And, And they were met by a very sort of angry crowd as they tried to exit. Um, There were people saying, hey, don't come back here. We know who you are. We know where you live. Uh, And they seemed to be obstructing their ability to leave from the school board meeting. And that was something that you could say maybe there was a threat, but certainly could be handled by local law enforcement. But it is, we've seen a lot of anger like this. It's not easy to deal with people who are angry. You don't want a lot of disruptions where somebody is slated to speak, but you can't hear them because the audience is yelling. So they do have real problems. And these are truly difficult situations they're dealing with. Whether or not to require kids to wear masks is something that reasonable people can come down on either side. So certainly there is potentially benefit to wearing a mask. However, there's not conclusive uh, scientific research that shows in schools that mask wearing uh, reduces the incidence of COVID. When you get into something like critical race theory, it's an even tougher issue um, because, again, good people can come on different sides, but they're often mutually exclusive. It may be that, you know, for instance, people have subconscious biases or unconscious biases, and we need to know it. On the flip side, it can sound like you're saying, well, that means all people who have these biases are racist. And we don't want to tell kids that. These are complicated issues, and we try and make one system deal with all of the diverse thoughts and beliefs and desires of unique, diverse families. We say, with the school district, you're going to handle all of those people, and you're going to try and satisfy all those people, and it's an impossible situation. So we have we should have a lot of sympathy for school boards because public schooling, the idea that all people should pay for one system of school, all diverse people should pay for one district, guarantees conflict. And we've seen conflict long before this. It's just we haven't always had a pandemic to to really upset people because for a year they couldn't even access education, at least in person. And now they're told they have to put masks on their kids. Of course, they're going to be super frustrated. And so we're just seeing kind of, you might say, a perfect storm of problems that have made school board meetings much more contentious than they used to be. But lots of school board meetings and lots of public schools were constantly facing, you know, pretty angry people who were forced into conflict when they shouldn't be. They should have school choice so they can just decide for themselves what they want. Educators can decide for themselves what they want to provide. Lawmakers, to their credit, state lawmakers, uh, have responded to to a lot of the difficulties that have been faced by uh, parents and school districts with what I think you and I would agree is the appropriate response. 2021 as far as we know, Jason Bedrick keeps track of a lot of these uh, state reforms and tells us that this year is the best year so far for school choice, replacing a previous uh, very good year uh, almost a decade ago. So uh, to the extent that choice is a greater option, uh, lawmakers in, in states have moved ahead, even even in uh, democratic states where school choice is uh, less popular among the political classes, we've seen a pretty dramatic increase in school choice options. That's one of the silver linings of the pandemic is it's revealed to people how 
even if you think you're in a good school district, you know, you may get good test scores, but it revealed to them, especially last school year, when you were told you're either going to get in-person education or you're going to get um, online, you can't have both when different kids needed different things. So some families had good reason to be worried about their child picking up COVID if they were in person. It may be because the child had medical issues. It could be they lived with older like grandparents. And then some people realize my child does not learn well or may not learn at all online and needs to be in person. But school districts are saying, sorry, you only get one. And for the most part, they're saying that you would be online. Um, and so we had this sort of groundswell of, of people who are dissatisfied and state legislators responded. And so 18 states either passed new uh, school choice programs, private school choice programs, uh, most notably West Virginia and Kentucky, um, or they expanded existing school choice programs. And Jason Bedrick, who you mentioned, has estimated, and it's not easy to estimate these things, but he's estimated that we'll probably see about a quadrupling of the number of kids in private schools through these programs. Right now, it's about 600,000 kids in private schools through those programs. That's not all private school kids. And that's likely to go up to about 2.4 million. That's a huge increase. Uh, there are about 55 million school-age kids in the United States, so we're nowhere near where we should be. But people have begun to realize that the answer to the problems of diverse people in education is to let them all choose what they think is best, not try and say we're going to shoehorn them all into one system. You know, we're, no matter who they are, we're going to make it. So they all get into this box and a lot of people are going to be hurt. A lot of people are going to fight to get out of the box. A lot of people are going to fight each other to see who gets what part of the box. If they get any good part of the box at all, they said, but it doesn't matter. We've got to have this one system and we are learning and learned a lot in the last 18 months that that just doesn't make sense. My hope is that's what prevails, but we do see the flip side of this. The worst example now is the school board association telling the federal government, well, you're going to punish people who ask for things, maybe angrily, but ask for things we don't want, that the school board say, or whoever's got the power in the school board doesn't like. And we have also seen at the state level bans on things like teaching critical race theory, that if you're going to have public school, are better left to local communities, which at least can then reflect a more specific group of people. And so we're, we're seeing some centralization at the same time, most dangerously at the federal level. But I, my hope is, and I, I'm sort of confident that what's going to prevail is this realization that when you have diverse people, you got to have freedom so that they can all choose what's best for themselves, not go to war with each other to try and make sure what they need is what everyone else gets stuck with because you have no choice if you want to get what you think is best for your kids. My children attended a, I wouldn't say a pop-up, but a startup pandemic pod uh, starting uh, last year. Uh, and uh, we have very much enjoyed the, the results of that and are very satisfied with the quality of that. Uh, and still further, a lot of parents have withdrawn their children from uh, school systems in general. The rise of homeschooling has been fairly dramatic uh, over the last year and a half. 
Yeah. Well, for one thing, I feel like I should interview you for a podcast about your pod experience. And plus, pod works in there so many different ways. I don't see how it cannot be done. Um, but we have, we think, observed a, a big increase in people, even without necessarily a program to make sure they're not paying twice for education. In other words, it lets them take some of their tax money to the educational option they prefer. Even absent that, we're pretty sure we've seen, uh, at least in the last year and a half, a big increase in people choosing these options. There has been an estimate of a doubling of the percentage of people who have homeschooled in the last basically year. One estimate was it was about 5% when you began the 19, I mean, the 2020-21 school year, that it reached about 11%. We need to take that with a grain of salt. The way that question is asked could leave you very confused whether you are homeschooling because you've taken charge of your child's education or because they're receiving education from a school, but it happens to be delivered at home, usually over a computer. So pie isn't as big as people are saying, but it probably has been an increase and one that will last in homeschooling. At first, we saw evidence that private schools were losing students as a result of the pandemic. They had certainly lost students between the end of the 2019-2020 school year when the lockdowns happened and the beginning of 2021. But we had a lot of anecdotal evidence, and we're trying to gather survey evidence now that suggests that over the last school year, they probably gained students from the beginning to the end as people became frustrated and then finally boiled over with their frustration with public schools not opening in person, and that many of those families ended up moving their kids to private schools. We also saw a big increase in charter schools, which are sort of quasi, they're like public-private hybrids. And we probably saw a big increase in charters because charter schools had been very heavy in online education provision. They had a lot of experience with it. And we saw a lot of people move their kids to those schools because they wanted schools that weren't moving online on the fly, but had built their whole uh, system and delivery around that. In other words, charter schools are schools of choice, and you saw the market doing what you'd want, which is trying out new things, trying it with a select few people, and then having it kind of ready to go to scale when the population was ready to go to scale. Neil McCluskey directs the Cato Institute's Center for Educational Freedom. Subscribe to and rate the Cato Daily Podcast pretty much anywhere and follow us on Twitter at Cato Podcast.